Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 204 and this episode is with physiotherapist and mentor Dave O'Sullivan. Dave came on and we discussed how his approach has, has developed and changed throughout his career so far. We spoke about the importance of a cohesive team um, in the rehab process and where everyone fits into that process as well. We talked about preparing players to return to perform, not only just return to play. So we spoke about how he goes about getting the players that can make real impact on performance up to speed and up to the levels they were pre-injury as well. We also spoke about, which was really interesting to get his perspective on, he gave some great advice around social media. We had a question sent in from Oliver Lowe around social media um, on how to use it effectively for coaches and the advice that coaches have that use it. And Dave, I think Dave uses it really well. He gives some great insight into his work over on his Instagram. So go and check his Instagram out. He's Dave O'Sullivan Physio. But he touched on that and how to use it effectively, maybe some of the lessons that he's learned along the way as well uh, about building an audience, building a profile on social media and how that can enhance the work that you do on a day-to-day basis as well. So it's great to catch up with Dave. This is actually probably one of the podcasts I've had the most takeaways with. So I'll discuss that at the end of the episode. But yeah, I'm going to probably struggle to narrow it down to just a few So I hope you enjoy the episode with Dave too. And just on that last point, if you do have any specific topics or questions you want us to cover in the podcast, whether it's just generally um, just something that you're thinking about or whether it's to a certain guest, then send them in. You can email me, mail at footballfitfed.com and I'll try and include them in the podcast um, in some way, shape or form. Just before we get into the episode... As I record this, we are a few days away from our event at Celtic. Now, we only have two tickets left on this event. It's been incredible that the um, how this has been received um, up in Scotland again. So thank you to everyone that's bought tickets for the event. I'm really excited to get up there and run the event and see the guys present. And um, we're also going to have Vald up there doing a demonstration as well, which I'm really keen to see. So thank you to everyone that's bought a ticket. We will be announcing new events very soon. This one, unfortunately, looks like it's going to sell out. So if you haven't already got your ticket, you're probably going to struggle because we only have two left at the time of recording. But what I would say is mark this date in your diary because we have a big event and speakers to announce very soon. On Thursday, the 27th of October, all I'll say at the moment is it's in the Midlands area. So... If you're keen to get to one of our events and you can make it to the Midlands, then keep that date in your diary. It will be 6 till 9pm. I'm just sort of um, dotting the I's and crossing the T's at the moment in terms of getting the last few details. And then I will announce that hopefully on the next podcast, but if not, probably the one after. And I'll get those details out to you as soon as possible. Well, thank you again for listening and supporting us. Let's get into the episode now. And just before we do, a huge thank you to Rezzle, our sponsors. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 204 and I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by physiotherapist, mentor Dave O'Sullivan. Dave, how are we doing? Hi Ben, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Thank you for coming on, mate. I really appreciate you giving up your time. Fresh from a nice trip away. So you're saying that you're operating on the, <laughs> in, in top gear at the moment? Yeah, yeah, just had a, had a lot of coffee again after coming back from holiday. So yeah, I'm on three cups a day at the moment. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Dave, I've got loads I want to cover with you. But just to start with, can you go through in traditional podcast style a little bit of background? Yeah, so I suppose my, 
my background's probably been rugby um, since, you know, full disclosure, since, since I kind of came out of university. Uh, so worked a lot of rugby league with, with, with quite a few clubs, uh, to be fair, in, in full-time and consultancy roles. And then I suppose, yeah, the pinnacle of that was working with England Rugby League at the 2017 World Cup. Um, and then kind of followed then, shifted into union. So I've worked with on a consultancy role with Leicester Tigers and then also with, with England Rugby Union uh, to, for the 2019 World Cup. Uh, so it was good. So yeah, kind of claimed the fame as being involved in two World Cup finals that we've both lost. So I'm probably the, the unlucky charm, yeah, even though I'm Irish. Um, so yeah, that, that was good. Um, and then I, I've got a private practice in Huddersfield up in the north of England. And yeah, I've met their physios as well uh, on... Um, on the the other kind of side of it so the, the kind of clinical side and the academy side so yeah quite a bit going on brilliant so what's the reason now for working privately dave like what why did you take that pathway or was that something that sort of naturally came about yeah i'd always kind of done um bits on the side of people always asking to see so when i started out at Leeds Riders, um we i was myself and a couple of other uh, guys we set up a clinic so like there was one in, in leeds one in york one in, in huddersfield and um, I always kind of took the Huddersfield clinic and then we, I, when I went back to Ireland to work with Monster, we kind of went our separate ways and I kept the Huddersfield clinic. So it was something I always just built up on the side. And then 2015, when I was with Huddersfield Giants, my second daughter was born and it was like, okay, can I want to come out of full-time sport? So then I was like, right, I'm going to put, put a bit more time in, into the, into the clinical side of it or the, the clinic side and then built that up a little bit and get some more physios on board. And then, I've always kind of found myself gravitating back to, to professional sport, to be honest. So I was kind of allowed, freed myself up then to go in, into teams on a more consultancy basis to kind of get the best of both worlds without the the day-to-day um, time constraints of professional sport. Yeah, it's a lot of what people talk about, isn't it, when they come out of it full-time, just missing missing that contact time. We've spoke a lot about sort of S&C coaches, more specifically going into the private world and maybe having like different opportunities with players because of the fact that you're one-on-one or a very small group with a player and you're not dealing with all the other teammates. So is there anything that you feel that is different as a physio working with a player or is it, is it similar because it's kind of similar to club, club anyway? Oh yeah, it's all exactly that. It's the same for us. Um, it's just the time. Like, like I'll always, if, if a player comes to me privately, I'll always be empathetic to the the, the professional teams, physios, because you've got a, a squad of, and especially Robbie, it could be up to 45 players between a few of you. And you, you could only give players so much time. Whereas in the clinic, the players got your full attention. You've got, you know, an hour or whatever you've got to take with them. And they, they kind of feel a bit bit more special or like they're they're getting that that attention. Whereas in, in sport, you're just juggling players all the time. You have to prioritise who, who needs to be able to train today. You have to see them. So another player might feel like they're not getting attention. So yeah, that's that's a hard juggling act in, in professional sports. So as you said, when, when you get private, it's, they, yeah, they feel a bit, probably a bit more looked after, but it's, as I said, it's just chalk and cheese into the, the, the professional day-to-day for the, the full-time physio. Real. And with your approach, obviously going into more of the private sector as well and having the clinic, um, I was interested to hear like how you feel your approach has developed across the years, whether that's like practically on a day-to-day basis or obviously you've touched on a little bit how on how you work. But is there anything else that sort of stands out in terms of how things are developed? Yeah, look, I, I kind of openly say I actually found a lot harder in private practice than pro sport um, to, to get results at the start because um, in in private practice, you can only see the player for like or the, the, the patient for, you know, maybe a half an hour once a week, whereas you have a bit more control and a bit more time with the players in professional sport. Um, so so I actually struggled that quite a bit in pro private when I first came out of it and prioritizing exercises because you could only do give them two or three things to do between sessions and you had to be quite quick with your hands on and and, and make it count I suppose so so I think that was the the first thing about what I've actually done since I've got into private practice is I've used the pro sport approach so you know and I meant there are actually quite a few strength coaches as well that who work with people in pain and I think that's you know that's starting to get more popular now, isn't it? As well, where SNC coaches are are helping a lot of people in pain. I think there's there's a great opportunity for for those kind of rehab conditioners, um, more and more in, in pro sport as well. But um, I think the key thing with 
that I've certainly changed is I've set expectations in the first session and saying, look, this is probably going to take five, six, seven sessions as opposed to trying to be a hero and, and fix it in one session. Um, you know, because I just don't think it's it's possible, if I'm being honest, if you really want to expose athletes and patients to the stimulus that they need when they go back on the field or in real life, it's going to take a graded exposure. You can't do that in one or two sessions. So I think I was quite naive at the start thinking I could help everybody in one or two sessions, whereas nowadays I'm a bit like, okay, let's let's have the difficult conversation and go outside the comfort zone of session one and actually set realistic expectations for the patient I, I think I'm, I'm getting better at that rather than let your ego kind of take over that's really interesting actually because it obviously it's one thing we talk about in the private sector is that you have this time with a player more on a more one-on-one basis but then we're disregarding a lot of the time in a full-time role that might not necessarily be in the gym or actually working but there's a lot more contact time with them isn't there in in a club whether that be eating or passing in the corridor, whatever it is. So you, you're taking all that away, isn't it? So I, it's something that I've not necessarily thought about so much before. Yeah, it's uh, like I, I've worked, I've worked quite a bit with, with teams where, where they like, they'll send a player to me. And I think it's that integration. This probably is, is more relevant to, to this, um, your, your audience as well, but it doesn't work unless we get the pathway from the physio to the SNC and that return to play a pathway, right? And then what they're doing in the gym has to complement what I'm trying to do with the players and what they do on the field has to complement what, what we're trying to build. So really the physio is the start of the journey, but it's that transition between physio and SSC to, to get them to the to the return to play stage. If you don't get that right, um, it, it's very difficult. And that's why I'll, I'll if a player comes to me, I'll always encourage them to let their physio know and try have a conversation with them and or their, their SSC guys to so that we're all on the same page because the last thing I want to do as well is undermine the club physio and, and, and stuff like that because that, that's just a can of worms then and if they don't understand what I'm trying to do their natural defence is up and it's like oh that's a load of shit or, or, or you know you, you get into all of that kind of crap um, then so I think everybody needs to be on the same page it's otherwise it's it's just a mess trying to because ultimately you want to give the best to the player but as I said I think ego is getting the way at, at times including my own you know as I said you're, you, you can kind of catch your ego um, kind of coming out a bit It's interesting you mentioned about the job roles before as well because obviously there's more you see more jobs coming up like a a rehab fitness coach, rehab coaches, rehab conditioners, or I'm sure there's many other titles, but I wanted to speak about that in terms of, I try and get away from speaking about traditionally, especially in football where there was an injury and you sort of go doctor to physio and then you eventually be passed on to maybe a fitness coach, if not just then put back into training. Because I think a lot of coaches now are working cohesively, aren't they? There's a definitely a crossover well, you've just talked about that importance of that crossover, that transition, and I suppose working together as a team. So um, when when we're considering that, if there's coaches listening in, in that sort of, maybe in one of those roles, what are some of the most important ways of, I suppose, operating in those roles to make sure they're getting the most throughout the rehab process? Yeah, like, like for me... It, it's a it's a tricky one I think it depends on the type of physio that you're working with as well I think you know there's a lot of traditionally trained physios where it's like okay just look at the side of pain and let's lower the area and, and that's it whereas I suppose my approach is slightly different in terms of I'll always work back from where we're getting them to so like you know at the, at the end of the day they need to get out onto the field they need to decelerate they need to change direction they need to uh, accelerate do all of this thing so so for me, it's trying to get the graded exposure from day one so that we're getting everything working together, whether that's like the silliest, the hamstring, the hip, the quad, all working together, co-contractions around the knee. We can do all of that stuff that's going to replicate the high-end rehab from day one. So it's, it's trying to get all of that stuff so that the, the brain feels all of these things happening from day one. I think the more SNC and and kind of rehab guys can understand that that process as opposed to okay, as you said, the physio sees them and then it's just, here you go. Um, I think if we can 
interlink with that and there's a lot of good strength coaches doing some really good stuff now i think in, in those roles and you know i'll joke like a, a lot of our wannabe physios are the the some of them always take their physios and, and, and vice versa these days and, and it definitely does blend in i'll, I'll take the piss out of a few of my mates in, in these kind of roles um where they always want to start hands-on treatment now and stuff <laughs> where they, and, I, and i think you know i'll say that joking but I, I think we could almost go too far that way as well where it's all corrective exercises and stuff and because the athlete they all we need is we want them to be able to tolerate load first and foremost and i think when pain's evolved the brain's very good at at stopping um areas from taking load so that's where i think we need to get that load tolerance first then build some strength on top of that and then make them robust and resilient because i think you can spend too long just on the corrective exercise bit as well where you actually don't get get any kind of low tolerance or strength into them as well so it's just getting the balance it's a bit like goldilocks isn't it you you don't want too much too little you just want to get that balance for the athlete and and it's always about moving on to the next decade of great exposure as quick as possible you know we, we in sports especially we have to be aggressive we we, we can't hang around and it's, it's trying to get the right stimulus at the right time and, and that's essentially i suppose the art of it then where experience comes in and you know making a few mistakes and, and learning from them really which I, you know as i said I've, I've certainly made a lot of mistakes over the years and you know probably continue to do so um, I'd like to think I make less these days due to the, the structure that I have. But yeah, it's uh, it's inevitable, really. I think when you're pushing athletes, we, obviously with that process as well, there's going to be different people involved in different job roles. Is there is there a point you think that there could be too many people? So if you're thinking about like maybe a, a physio, possibly doctor, then an SNC rehab or whatever you want to. Uh, define that sort of job role then maybe a technical coach or head coach if it then extends past that in that rehab process you think they can get to a point where it's it's too many people too many opinions or what's your opinion yeah, on that yeah definitely i think what are the, the big things like if, if i ever go into a team and uh, i've been in roles where i come in as a kind of a consultant and mentor the, the physios and stuff and what are the what are the first things i try to do is have accountability of everyone has accountability for something because I think when there's a lot of people involved that gets lost and it's like oh I thought you were doing it or you're doing it and then it's the, the player gets kind of lost and he's getting different messages whereas the kind of the golden rule for me whether it's the doctor the physio the SSC if we disagree on something we have a private chat we don't bad mode each other or, or contradict each other in front of the player because I think when you start going down that route and the player loses confidence in it's it's not a good good position for the player to be in either to to hear that stuff. Um and you know, so I, I think in terms of there needs to be a few people, but one person ultimately needs to be leading that and have accountability for that. And as I said, uh, probably at different timescales that will shift. So obviously acute, yeah, the physio is probably going to be more accountable, but then there needs to be a clear handover of okay, this person's leading it, this person's taking them through the, the stuff and at the end of the day, it's just all about getting the player back to, to where we, we need them to be, really. So, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think it's um, it's just having having that lead, I think, is important. And then everybody's singing off the same hymn sheet to the player, even if we may, may disagree, we, we do that in private. So as well as sort of setting out initial intentions, accountability for certain areas and those private conversations as well, away from the player, is there anything else that you'd recommend for coaches to be aware of in that process to make sure we're getting the most out of it? Um, yeah, I think it's it's probably understanding the player as well. Um, and, you know, the the players are very different, um, you know, and, and I suppose it's integrating even the coaches' staff where sometimes you might just need, like if they're having a shit time, it's, it's tipping up the court, the uh, the, the coaches just to have a word with the player and reinforce, oh, I heard you do well and, and stuff like that, just to pick them up because they, they go through such a roller coaster of emotions that I think we 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 probably lose sight that they're a person as well. And and you know, they're taken out of their environment where they can train. They they know how, you know, their days are very structured and and you know, this is is what I do on a daily basis. So then to be injured, it's a very different uh, situation. I think we probably take that for granted, whereas a lot of players, especially with their first kind of major injury and stuff like that, I think there's a big psychological component to that that, that we probably have to appreciate as well. And a, a lot of it for me, like, uh, we're, we're almost shrinks in terms of like we're just building energy because those days where they're rock bottom and you, your job is it's not about you know getting an extra 5kg on the on the squat rack 
your job for that day is building their energy up again and, and they need to leave that gym smiling and happy mm. and, and if you do that you've done a good job that day it's you know and half of our job is, is that I think as opposed to you know it's it's not about push 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 every day it's, it's reading the player understanding the player and, and I suppose that goes back then to the communication within the departments look he's, he's getting a bit down here we need to to change it up or or to you know have a word with with someone just to boost them again how do you find with that message Dave with the, with the coaches that you uh, mentor getting over that importance of sometimes it's not about just about the weight on the bar or the progression of the exercise or whatever it is it is that interpersonal personal skill and like you said, just letting them leave the gym with a smile on the face. How do you find that message gets across to maybe younger practitioners that are going through the phase of education and learning all this cool stuff that they want to implement? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe I'm biased, but I've been been quite lucky with with the coaches that kind of come on my mentorship. They're they're very open minded. They're young. They're hungry to learn. You like they've got a real thirst for knowledge and they want to get as much knowledge as they they can. And you know, I was saying this to someone just just before this call. Actually, it's knowledge is isn't necessarily power. Knowledge is useless unless you've got a way to filter that knowledge and actually implement it. And I think that's very much what what I'm about these days is unless I can apply the knowledge to a point, I think it's wasted, um, yeah. you know, or you certainly waste your time. So I'm massive into structure and systems and, okay, where does this sit um, within within this process, you know, in terms of getting the, the, the player back? And I think a lot of the, so like what, for example, with the coaches, the, the strength coaches, uh, one of the questions we might ask the player is, okay, you know, what? how do you want to feel when you get back? Um, you know, and, and get them to actually imagine that again, because the, the words that they use, that's going to be very important and meaningful for them. So I want to feel springy. I want to feel light. I want to feel sharp. So when they're doing their exercises, then it's trying to get those cues into, into the gym, I think it's really powerful. So we, we bring those images in their mind to, to build confidence. Um, and then on the other hand, it's like, right, what, what aren't you looking forward to doing? Or what are you worried about doing again? And that's where then we've got an opportunity to build a graded exposure to that situation so that we can, so for example, it might be change of direction for an ACL. So we might start with just a basic um, transverse plane lunge where they, they have one foot caught on the floor and they're just opening up like the other leg goes to seven o'clock or four, four o'clock, whatever the, the leg is. And we can say, okay, well, this is building up into change of direction now. So they can kind of see that they're they're dipping the toes into the water, so to speak. So we're desensitizing them to these movements along the way. So I think it's the, the ability to ask the questions at the start. Um, that's going to give you a clear picture then of, of potentially some roadblocks and, and stuff. And, um, you know, as I said, I, I think I remember like when I first started out, one of, one of them was like a pretty big ACL. And the one thing that I fucked up on was... Uh, the guy, he was, he was really good. It was rugby league, really good, like flying. But he couldn't kneel on his knee because it was just so sensitive still. And I was like, fucking hell. So he's ready to train, but he couldn't kneel. And you, you kneel when you play the ball in rugby league. So I was like, fucking hell. So then I had to take him through graded exposure of that where we're getting used to kneeling. And, you know, that that was one of the, the an example there. of It's stuff that you don't think about that actually to you, but actually are, are really important to them. You know, yeah. I don't like anyone touching my knee or my scar and, and stuff. And, and straight away, that's a um, a big yellow flag to me there. That okay, well, there, there's some sensitivity still there that, that I need to address. So, I think it's just looking at the whole person as to their doubts and worries. Very often, it's it's the last thing you expect you even think about, but actually it gives you good information then to build that stuff into your rehab program. Um, that, that you would have missed. So I'm big into asking questions at the start and, and really understanding their their concerns, their attitudes, their beliefs, because um, that's stuff that we might need to, to actually work on as well. So it's quite an holistic approach, I suppose. Now, very quick word on our online community. I was counting up the other day. We've now got over 100 hours worth of content over on the community in the forms of webinars, Q&As, interviews, presentations from loads of great coaches, just some of the coaches on there. There's Dawn Scott, now into Miami, Nick Grantham, Evie Casagrande, Laura Bowen, uh, David Johnson, Colin Lewin, loads of other great practitioners have done presentations, webinars, Q&As for us. So you can get access to it. If you're not already a community member, go to footballfitfed.com and sign up there. It'll give you a month free. 
so you can check it all out. After your month free, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. You'll get continued access and also you will be receiving the three presentations, well, four if we include the Vald um, demonstration from our Celtic event as well. So if you can't make it to the Celtic event, you'll be able to check out the presentations from that event on the community too. So come and join us. Connect with over 200 coaches now on the community by going to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Dave O'Sullivan. Yeah, that, that psychology side of things is massive, isn't it, in that in that process and like asking those questions that you just mentioned there, I think are great, aren't they? Cause they give you such good answers and tap into how they think. And like you said, the language they use, it's um, so important. Yeah. It's just, it's like, at the end of it, it's just like, there, there's already so much we can do with the player. It's about building their confidence and trust. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think they need to trust you. They need to trust the plan, but most importantly, they need to trust themselves. So yeah, it's just, a big part of us is, is people skills and building the confidence in the player. And, you know, I've got a phrase that, that I've picked up from somewhere. It's like, there's two people like to give you energy or take your energy. And, and I think we all have these players in, in clubs where take your energy and, and shit like that. And, and it can be, can be challenging, but very much I see my job is to build energy, give them energy and, and build the confidence within themselves then as well. And I think that's a massively overlooked part of the, the actual process, whereas you can get so, you know, I'll take the pissed SNC coaches. You boys love an Excel spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> I fucking hate the things. Um, but, you know, we can spend so much time on the computer, like building out these, these really great stuff. But actually, if you look up and, and chat to the player, you know, it's, you, you'll, you'll pick up so much information as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, to be fair, that is echoed in a lot of pod, uh, podcast episodes that we've done. Whether that's coaches actually admitting that they need to be doing that a bit more or whether that is just something that they're noticing, like there's definitely, um, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, on that, Dave, as well, obviously we've talked there about getting players back onto the pitch, back in, back being able to be selective and, and play. I wanted to ask, what's the difference is there a difference even in your approach from getting players to play and getting players to perform, especially these players that, that are maybe some of the star players in the team that could be game, real game changers? Is there anything different that we need to be doing with them? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And I think there there's a phrase um, that I, I've, um, I've kind of taken it on because it just resonates with me. There's a, there's a guy, he's actually dead now, a physio called Louis Gifford. I don't know if you've ever heard him. And, and he he kind of coined this phrase in his books, thoughtless, fearless movement. And when he said that in his books, I was like, fuck that. That's what it is. Um, that's what we're getting players back to, where they can move thoughtless, fearless, um, and without restriction. And, and that, to me, is their, their confidence. Now, I really started to think about that and unpack that. And I reflected on, there is, has been players in the past where I've put back. And you look at them in training, you're like, fuck it, all these like clinically he's fine time periods things are healed or should be healed but he's still a little bit lacking that confidence and, and that thoughtless fearless movement and um that's kind of where the the top down where they're consciously having to think about things and, and a bit cautious when they're pushing off and stuff and so for me from my point of view if i'm sending the players back like that i haven't done a good enough job and it's bridging that gap from low to high level rehab I think that's where the confidence is built. And I, and I think that's where a lot of strength coaches come to me as well is, is to, to kind of bridge that gap. Um, so for example, like one of the, the best ways to do that before they run is they do a lot of hopping, you know, and they build the confidence in the leg. And I'm, I'm big into single leg bones and stuff like that. Because if you can single leg bound, you know, over 20, 30 meters, then, you know, you can, you're ready to run. You know, because you can tolerate the load. We know you tolerate the load, the rate of force development, all, all of these things. You, you've proved it to me. And But I think a big thing that happens during that period is the, the athlete starts to build confidence again. And it is a little bit like you throw them into a pool and fucking swim. You know, that kind of way where you, you have to put them in. Now, you have to do it at the right dosage and stuff. Obviously, you can't go not to 100. But it's putting them into those situations where they, the first rep or two, what you'll usually see is they're rigid. And they're a bit nervous and they're a bit tense and you'll see facials and stuff. And then they start to relax and then you'll start to see the smile and, and they'll relax and then the, the confidence is built there. So I think in terms of the, the and I, I think this is what, what you're alluding to, I think if you, if we do have players where 
they're coming back, but they're not performing, then there's probably something there in the rehab that that, that bridging the gap from low to high level rehab that was probably missed. And that's where if we expose them to that stuff and like on a physiological level, but what, what we're trying to get here is that the peripheral tissue can talk to the spinal cords without it having to go to the higher centers. So it's all of like that Bosch type reflexes, preflexes kicking in. Um, that's essentially what we're trying to do there. Where And that's where with that rehab and that high-end rehab, we want to design rehab exercises that they don't have a, ch a chance to get consciously involved in it, where the, the movements are so chaotic and, and so fast that the peripheral tissues have to react outside of conscious control. So I think there's ways definitely to get that stimulus into the rehab exercises um, but it's just, yeah, it, it's just doing it at the right time. That's always the, 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 the art of, I think, of our professions, really, where we don't go the locks approach. Again, we don't give them too much where they, we overload them and, and they get a pain response or, or they, they, um, you know, there's potential damage or we don't give them too little, where if there's too little involved, then we're not going to get an adaptation. So it's just, it's just trying to get it right with, with those scenarios. How much of that stage as well would you possibly pull on the technical coach um, or maybe obviously in rugby, like more of a positions coach um, at that point? Because they're obviously picking out the, the, the strengths, the key attributes of that player, but also the, maybe the style of that player as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm a massive fan of the contact, like especially with contact, return to contact training with, with coaches I obviously know a bit about wrestle and, and contact, but I always try to get the coaches involved for that technical element um, because I think I don't want to be showing them bad habits or developing bad habits with them. Now, in saying that, there's things that they need to do before they're ready for that. And, and I can definitely look at, okay, what, what needs to happen and, and what needs to tolerate load in these positions. Uh, but yeah, I think you're dead right. I think the technical coach is coming in as well and creating these scenarios so like again if, if you've got like a, a, a left-footed winger on, on the left side and he steps off his left heavily there's ways that we can gradually expose him to doing that even weeks before he's back on the pitch so as you said I think it's understanding it, it kind of goes back to to what we said at the start it's understanding what's the end goal and you know what are the movements that you need to be able to do want to be able to do listed them out and going okay what actually comes before them so that we can we can gradually expose them to those scenarios and as I said that's what builds the confidence you, you have to do the work to build confidence I think that's another key thing is like confidence just doesn't come like that it comes through repetition and, and actually doing the doing the work yeah brilliant um Dave this is a bit of a change of change of gear change of path on the questions but this was actually sent in um by someone on email around social media and obviously social media gets good and bad raps from people. And basically they were asking around how coaches, practitioners, physios should use social media for themselves to build like a profile and to show their work. And I was like, with you coming on the podcast and I'm not just saying this because you're on, but I've been on your social media, like especially Instagram the, the last few weeks and the way you put things across, it's precise. You're getting the message across. It's really clear. Um, it's showing the work that you're doing. So what would be your advice to, to people to show their work and do it in a positive way? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think I think it's dangerous. Um, and I think the, if you're going to do it, you have to protect your mindset. And straight out the door, you're going to get shit. You're going to get negative comments. You're going to get fucking people emotionally reacting who's having a shit day. And they're going to comment. And, and that was hard for me to take. Because I'm, I mean, I'm at this online stuff now, probably. I started probably a bit early with probably seven, eight years in now. And it, it really bothered me at the start. But now, it's like, fuck, my, my missus was like, actually, the other night, she was like, she was scrolling. And she was like, oh, who's this guy? He said, bore off, Dave. I was like, fucking no idea. And, like, that, that would have really pissed me off, like, five years ago. Whereas now, like, you expect it. It's like, all I see now is, if you've commented on my thing, you've ranked my, my engagement up. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think you have to protect your mindset first and foremost. There's always someone that wants to dis disagree with you. And there's always going to be someone that's going to want to watch that content. And they're, they're looking and the reticular activating system is set to finding something that you've said to pull you down. 
because a lot of people just want to pull people down these days. So I think once you you understand that that's inevitable and that will happen, then I think you, you're you're good to go. Um, and you know it, it's fucking not nice. Like I'm used to it now, but it's still not nice when someone criticizes you. It's, it's it's human nature. So I think there's that side of it. I couldn't give a fuck these days, to be honest. Now, as I said, like and I'm I'm not on Twitter much anymore because I just fucking think the thing's toxic. Um, Instagram and stuff. So my approach with that is. And it, it kind of goes back to knowledge is useless without being able to apply it. So the content that I put out there, I always try to put it out in a way that will help therapists take that content or strength coaches take the content, use it and get a win. Mm. So that that's my approach. So I think there's a lot of people out there these days that can be controversial and they can, they can sound great in theory, but it's like it, it almost ends up going, right, what do I do with that information? You know, so kind of show me rather than tell me and I think they're usually the clinicians that you know at once or a coach that you put them in front of a team and they just melt you know they, they would just melt in front of them and I always try to as I said show stuff that's relevant to the real world and stuff that you can use as opposed to just putting something up there for the for the sake of it or, or trying to sound smart and I probably did when I started off I was probably I want to wow people and, and all this, whereas actually these days I'm just going, just keep it simple, put content out there that they can use, give them snippets, 60 second clips that they can just take that information, they, they can apply it. Because then you're 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 helping people and you're actually giving value as opposed to, as I said, just putting something up there for you to sound smart as opposed mm-hmm. to actually helping people. That That's always, always been my kind of philosophy. Philosophy and, and, and approach with it because I, I think as I said I think sometimes you put information up and it, it just it, like uh, there's a lot of ter- a lot of physios now and they're afraid to touch patients because there's this whole message around we're not allowed you know it 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 causes patients to be passive and stuff and that is true to a point but that's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater so yeah. it's just you know and and I think that's the probably the other point then is as clinicians and and coaches on social media it's, it's just it's understanding where this stuff fits in your system, you know, so looking at that information, taking it with a pinch of salt and then going, okay, how can I put this into my own structured system and my own approach? And I think if you've got your own approach, your own philosophy, and then taking bits and adding to your system, I think that that's a really good way to use social media. And I always say this to my mentorship therapist is the most dangerous thing you can do is see an exercise on Instagram and use it tomorrow. You know, without actually understanding where integrated exposure, where's the player? Is he ready for it? What's the next progression? You know, and and I think it's that that kind of instant gratification these days. We we just want that that magic exercise, and I, I promise you that that magic exercise isn't, isn't out there mm. because you have to 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 gradually expose them. You know, because you're you're playing with a nervous system. You're not playing with with just the muscle. Sorry, I've, yeah. I've gone off on a tangent there with that. No, I think that's great advice. And it's something that I take from yours as well is that like a 60 second clip can be super, super beneficial for people. And also I think the snippets and you working with people might seem like, oh, I'm just doing what I do on a day-to-day basis, but there's so much you learn from that. Even the way you engage with a a client um, or a player, like you're learning a lot, aren't you? You're not just learning an exercise or a way of working. It's all about giving that little insight into how that interaction works. And I've watched a lot of yours where you get what you've talked about already, a lot of feedback from the player as well. Um, yeah. And even that, like in your own head, you're sort of thinking, well, how would I then amend things from what they've just said? Um, so I think there's so much in that, isn't there? Yeah, I think I'll always try um, whenever I can show me treating. Because I think that's so important to actually walk the walk as well as talk the talk. So I think actually you coaching players, you you doing things, I think so important. Whereas all the kind of the gurus out there are, are telling us how you should be doing things. It's like, okay, well, show me, don't tell me. That That's kind of my philosophy. And as you said, I'm, I'm trying to put more content out there where if I do treat people, they agree to, to me, you know, videoing them and stuff. Because I think that's the best way where you can pick up these little things that I probably do automatically now that you, you probably don't realize you do, but someone can pick something up like that. And it's the same with coaches. When I watch coaches, you know, or even that Louis Gifford's books, you know, I'm reading his stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I'm going to rob that. I like that. I like the way he, he's done that thing. And I think it's those little bits 
um, of actually real world experience that they're they're just invaluable, isn't it? As opposed to just well, it's, it goes back to you know you can read all the books in the world, but actually getting into an environment and, and there's a person in front of you, it's it's a completely different scenario usually. Yeah, hundred percent. Just on that as well, Dave. If people are looking to to tap into that and get their work out there. In terms of like time, I'm not expecting a specific amount of minutes spent on it or anything like that, but just generally, obviously we don't get want to get caught up in the trap where we're spending all of our time making these amazing videos and forgetting about the sort of groundwork that goes into whether it's being in a clinic or a club or whatever it is. Where do you find the balance with that or what were your advice, advice beyond that in, in terms of getting good quality content out there, building a bit of a reputation with it, but not spending too much time on it? Yeah, I think I think there's ways. Like I'll, I mean, I'm in a bit of a different situation because I've got a videographer on on our team and stuff. But like when I started out with the mentorship, I I recorded all the videos, I edited them, I done everything, uh, built the websites, everything. So so I kind of I th- I think it's the the work ethic almost. Like I was getting up at like five thirty a.m. I remember I had a green screen in my garage. I look back at those videos, I cringe. They're <laughs> fucking awful. Um so you know you kind of have to put in the work a little bit to start. Um, but there's ways like with f- Fiverr and stuff where you can batch I like to know batch um like record the content. So I'll do like like those 60 second clips. I'll try to do 10 of them you know in a in a in a row and then um you could send them to a guy in Fiverr for probably $20 um and get them clipped and then you know batch all your 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 kind of your copy or whatever you're going to write with the video so i try to do that these days um and I, I always try to look at okay how much is my time worth so if i can get somebody to you know if i can earn you know 100 150 quid an hour doing you know treating a patient but i can pay someone 20 dollars or you know 30 dollars for an hour's work of videography that'll probably take me four hours just pay that at the start um you know that so it's kind of it's understanding your work and if you can get someone to to do it and i know it's a bit like fuck i have to pay this but actually you're you're earning more because you're saving yourself time and time is the is the most important thing so so i'm kind of big on that as well of of what's ways i can save save my time and if i can get someone else to to do it for cheaper then i'll probably take that option these days yeah that's brilliant advice Dave, we'll move on to the quick fire questions that we always finish the, the podcast with. First one being, who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Yeah, uh, there's a guy called Myron Jones. Uh, he's Melbourne Storms uh, rugby league physio. So he was kind of my first mentor in, in rugby league. And then there was another guy, Martin Higgins from Bradford Bulls. And they were the two guys I went into business with. So they set me off on the right road um, in, in the early days. Um, and yeah, they, they definitely stared me down a path like of yeah, hands on, get strong, all, all of this stuff, which has stood me in good stead to, to kind of build on. Then I think that that physio Louis Gifford, he was after taking a lot, a lot of different courses, I think he was a big influence on me and kind of understanding the person in front of me and, and the graded exposure approach that, that really kind of kicked me on. Um, Franz Bosch would have been, been another one I've flown over to him and, and spent you know a day or two with him and, and shown him my work and, and got him to critique it I like his stuff I think it's too far high level for a lot of people um, and I very much see my stuff as as grading them to get ready for that stuff I think a lot of people kind of go into a lot of those exercises too quickly uh, but certainly he he fits my biases with, with that um, yeah then you've yeah like uh, that I, I like Shirley Sharman was one diagnosed with movement parent syndromes but actually when I get a bit more experience, I kind of look back and go, yeah, I probably don't agree with some of the stuff she's saying, but I think she was still still very good. So I think you, it's kind of ebbs and flows, really. You look back at some stuff, you go, fuck, was I really doing that or did I really think that? But I suppose it's just all part of your, your evolution, really. Um, so, yeah, so somebody, those guys will probably be the, the, the biggest influences on me, I think. Brilliant. And what would you say your biggest strength is as a, as a physio or practitioner? Um. Good question. Um, I think I probably fill players with confidence. I think is probably one of the things. I think my ability to read the player. Um, but I think a lot of the confidence probably comes that I can make changes quickly. Um, 
you know, so I can make them feel better. So if I use hands-on or if I use a rehab exercise, I want them to feel the difference quite quickly. So I think that contributes to having confidence in me um, as opposed to, you know, just, just going through the motions. And that probably comes back to the to the structure, really. So I think that's probably one of, one of my strengths. I've got a lot of weaknesses, but that, that's probably one of, one of the, the, the strengths, I think, is I can make changes quickly, but then get, get them feeling better, I think. So then they start to trust you and, and the process. Brilliant. And to give advice to a younger Dave, stepping back a few years in your career, what would the main bit of advice be that you'd pick out? Yeah, I, th- I think I alluded to it um, at the start. Is like drop your fucking ego, you idiot. <laughs> That's me talking to myself. Um, <laughs> is is that like yeah? Try to fix people in one or two sessions and, and thinking you know it all. And like as I said, I still make mistakes. Today. I still fuck up. Um, you know, and anyone who says they don't is fucking lying. Because when you're in in this environment, you're pushing players and pushing them it's inevitable you know and and if you're not making mistakes i'd say you're probably not aggressive enough so it's just trying to 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 get that balance so i think yeah i think it's for me now it's much more of a nervous system problem as opposed to just strength or or just hands-on and scar tissue i think that's that's the one thing i I, as i've i'd like to think i've matured over the years it's that and then i think i've learned an appreciation of the right stimulus at the right time as opposed to just kind of giving exercises out so it's kind of your your you know seeing exercise on youtube use it actually step back think about where does that fit in in the in the pathway they're probably the the the, the biggest things i i would um i would have liked to have learned earlier brilliant and then just finally mate obviously you mentioned about going overseeing Franz bosch and i'm sure there's a lot of learning opportunities in terms of the mentorship as well that you do but your approach to CPD continued learning, like how do you go about that? Yeah, so I, um, yeah, kind of one of my biggest frustrations was like chasing this magic bullet. I think it was about 2015. And that's when I kind of said, I stepped back and said, you know, what are the skills I need to be, you know, world-class physio? I want to be the best physio in the world. You know, that, that's my goal. Um, I don't think I'm there yet, but that's that's what I'm striving for. Um in, in kind of your sport private practice setting so it's like right what skills do I need so like I've got eight pillars that I've broken down to like subjective assessment objective communication rehab planning uh, hands-on low level rehab high level rehab SNC so so they're the eight pillars for me that that I need to be world class so what I do is I look at okay where's my weak links now um, and then I focus on on trying to to fill those weak links, so to speak. So, so I, I think it changes as as you evolve. So, like, pro, yeah, my hands on now is all right. I'm, I've got confidence. In my hands on my low level rehabs. I spent a lot of time with that over the last two three years. More focused on coordinative stuff, taking Bosch's principles. Going okay, how does that fit low level rehab and 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 stuff like that. I'm kind of probably more subjective assessment now, and actually the psychology and. The more chronic pain, persistent pain patients, where it's not no, it's not so much hands-on or, or rehab. It's more about you know influencing that person. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment with my head. So I think it'll always evolve, but I think if you can go right, list out the skills you need and the pillars. You you come up with your own pillars, and then you you quite quickly see the gaps and then try fill those gaps because you know the easiest thing for me in the world is going another hands-on kind of course where it's just sexy and it's like it's instant gratification whereas it's it's the stuff that you have to delay gratification at that long term you're you're, you're going to get the, the results so that's kind of how i look at it myself i think that's great advice I've, I've not heard too many people talk about that before but it makes complete sense and also i suppose we get attracted to things that we just like doing rather than things necessarily that we need to work on as well don't we 100 it's it's the things that you're you you're going to gravitate to the things you're comfortable with and like that bit of discomfort you're, you you don't want to do it but that probably means you need to do it you know because yeah. we just don't, don't want to go outside our comfort zones as you said so it's uh yeah you've nailed it there exactly we gravitate to the things we, we want to do rather than things we need to do Dave this is brilliant mate thank you very much for coming on just before I let you go will you just give um the places for people to go and check out your work whether that's socials or whatever yeah, I'm actually really shocked at this. I think, I think my Instagram handle are, is Dave O'Sullivan Physio. I think that's it. Um, and then the the website's the go to physio.com. 
Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of blogs and stuff there as well for, for strength coaches that you'll probably be able to pick up, um, you know, a, a lot of the, like I talk a lot about foot pressures with deadlifts and RDLs and stuff like that. So there's quite a few resources there. And yeah, I think even the Instagram, there's, there's a lot of rehab exercises I put out there that you'll, you'll probably be able to use as well. So, um, and then, yeah, my email is dave at thegotophysio.com. So if anyone wants to, to contact me, happy to, to chat. Brilliant. Dave, you're top man. Thank you very much for doing that. I really appreciate Cheers. your time. Pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that chat with Dave. Uh, thank you very much to him for coming on. I think we sort of skimmed the surface. I feel like there was loads more we could have probably gone into, um, but also loads that we covered as well. So I hope you took plenty from it as I did. I said at the start of the episode, I was going to struggle to narrow this down in terms of the takeaways. So I'm just going to run through a, a few. First of all, the, the one that stood out earlier on was where he was talking about, obviously it's something we spoke about before, having more time and plays in the private sector. But then you sort of forget about all the, all the um, connections that you have with players throughout a day in a club. So whether that be sitting, having your lunch or passing them in the, in the uh, corridor or whatever it is, team meetings, there's a lot more opportunities because a player might only be coming to see you for an hour or two hours um, or a few hours a week even. Whereas at a club, you, if you use those opportunities right, which is probably more of a takeaway, um, then there are a lot of times where we can be connecting with players, not just in the gym or out on the pitch. So that was the first one. He said about knowledge not necessarily being meaning power. And I think that was an important point. Like it's how we utilize it. It's how we go about it. He touched on not being sat behind data and laptops, which is something, again, we've talked about a lot. I love the questions he used for the players. So it, the first one was, how do you want to feel when you get back? And he said about really using their language and, and mirroring their language. So when they're going through the rehab process and they've maybe talked about being sharp or springy or whatever language they're using, using that, in the rehab process because then they, you're tapping into their mindset and the way um, the way that they're thinking about it as well. The other area of this was asking them about what they worry about, what they may be anxious about in terms of returning to play, whether it is a certain movement or um, a certain position that the body's going to be in. He gave the example of the player, the rugby player kneeling. And having those conversations is key because, again, you're finding out more about where their mindset's at. The title of the podcast, Thoughtless, Fearless Movement. I've used that because that was obviously a quote that he took from another physio. But also the point that he brought up was around that being the difference between getting players back to returning to play against returning to perform and perform at the highest level. This sort of thoughtless, fearless movement is something that we have to try and recreate in the rehab process. And then just finally, a really, really important point right at the end of the podcast where he spoke about his approach to CPD, essentially having categories or attributes that he wants to try and um, work on as a practitioner, writing those down and actually thinking about whether the CPD that you are carrying out, whether that is books that you're reading, articles you're reading, research, um, podcasts, webinars, seminars, whatever it is, is that based around the areas that you you should be looking to improve? Or is it based around areas that you just like looking into? Because I think there's a big difference there. So as a practitioner, obviously we want, we want a balance of both. But as a practitioner, are we reflecting on that? Um, are we using some self-reflection and thinking about the areas that we really need to develop and working on those? So I think I thought that was a really cool takeaway to finish up the podcast as well. And I really enjoyed the chat with Dave. Definitely going to be keen to get him on again in the future because that was absolutely brilliant in terms of his knowledge. So big thank you to him for coming on. And thank you again for listening. And I'll be back next week in episode 205.